If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Jude. We'll start reading at verse 17. But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy. And for others, save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others, have mercy with fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So we started out a while back in Jude verse 3 and we looked at the purpose of the letter and determined that every believer in the church is supposed to contend earnestly for the faith in their local church community and then in the broader church community. And in Jude 4, we saw that the problem and danger for the church is that certain persons have crept in unnoticed who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And I've given the name of these people the imposters, deceivers. Jude verses 5 through 16, we looked at the primary and secondary sources that Jude uses to warn all those in the church community that those who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ and remain in the faith in Jesus Christ will receive judgment and condemnation. Jude also points out the root sins and the fruit sins of these false Christians, followed by their judgment and condemnation from our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Also in verses 5 through 16, Jude gave us detailed descriptions of these false Christians by using examples from the Old Testament scriptures, Jewish traditions, and similitudes of nature and promise to help the church get a clear picture of who these imposters may be and how to identify them among God's elect. So Jude has spent most of his letter giving details about these imposters and the judgment that will come upon them. And at the same time, Jude has already given the command to the church to contend earnestly for the faith. So based on reading Jude verses 3 through 16, a Christian might think, I know I'm supposed to contend for the faith. And I now know how these imposters are. I know who these imposters are. Therefore, it's time to contend for the faith and confront the imposters with the gospel. A Christian may even stop reading Jude at verse 16 and jump to other places in their Bible that instruct them on how to confront the imposters and share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with them, calling them to repent and believe in our Lord. If a Christian 
does not obey the application section of Jude 17 through 23, they may not be contending for the faith at all, according to Jude. So if you were just to read the details and figure out who the imposters are and stopped there, you may not be contending for the faith, according to Jude. And hopefully this will come out as we look through this application section. So Jude 17 through 23 is the application section of Jude's letter. Or in other words, the instruction manual on how to contend for the faith against the imposters. This is the section in which Jude, who loves combinations of three, gives his readers three commands on how they must contend for the faith against the imposters who have crept in unnoticed. So you can't stop at Jude 16. You have to keep going. There's only four commands in the book of Jude that are primary commands. One, contend for the faith earnestly. And then we'll look at these other three. First, Jude 17 through 19, Jude commands the church to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second, Jude 20 through 21, Jude commands the church to keep yourselves in the love of God. Third, Jude 22 through 23, Jude commands the church to have mercy on all the unbelievers who have been being led astray by the imposters in the church setting. So Jude, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these three imperatives that the church must follow obediently to contend earnestly for the faith. If the church fails to follow these commands, it will not grow to full maturity in Jesus Christ, but instead the church will drift away from Jesus Christ, no longer abiding in him. And there is the possibility that that church will fall away from the faith altogether. We have an example in the scriptures of the church that fails to follow these three imperatives while contending for the faith. I read this last time and I'll read it again. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, This is what the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. You also have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. One man writes about this church in Ephesus. When Jesus brings against the church of Ephesus the indictment that she had left her first love, he refers to the love in the deepest sense, to the true love of God in Christ as the very life of that church. And of this love, as it first had filled the church of Ephesus, the Lord states that it had been left forsaken 
This was a very serious matter. If it was not remedied, the church would die. For the love of God in Christ is the deepest root of all spiritual life. If a church leaves that love, the spiritual fountain of her life will dry up. So how does a church who left her first love continue to function as a church? Well, again, this man writes, when the church was in the period of her first love, it had labored to keep the word of Jesus, to know the truth, to instruct young and old, to expel evil from their midst, and it had been zealous in the work of the Lord. Now the original motive power which had been impelled which had impelled the church had decreased in force. But as a steamer in the ocean will continue for a while with apparently undiminished speed after the engine has been shut down, so the church in Ephesus apparently lost none of its energy, lived and labored by virtue of the momentum of the first love which had motivated her in the beginning, partly because of the love which was still present in the church, partly by virtue of the momentum of tradition. The church of Ephesus was still active in the work of the Lord and did not grow weary. And thus you have the phenomenon of the church, which is sound in doctrine, faithful in discipline, active in all the work of the Lord, but without the motive power of her first love. It is the church in the beginning of her decline. This is why we as a church would do well to learn from Jude's application section on how to contend earnestly for the faith while remaining to be a spiritually healthy church. Today we'll look at the second command which we see in Jude 20 and 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I'll read verses 20 through 21 again. But you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Jude loves to use triads or patterns of three, combinations of three. Throughout Jude's letter, we see no less than 13 patterns of three. Notice how Jude uses another pattern of three, which refers to our triune God praying in the Holy Spirit, the love of God, which we can presume refers to God the Father, and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, all in those two verses. I'll read it again. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. You see the triune God right there. This is the second part of Jude's application section where Jude gives the second of three commands to the church on how they must contend for the faith. With this command, Jude gives the church three secondary commands in order to be obedient to this command and how to follow this command while staying spiritually healthy. So let's look at the primary command in these two verses. The primary command or imperative is keep yourselves in the love of God. The participle or secondary command in these verses, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. The other participle or secondary command, 
praying in the Holy Spirit. And then that third participle or secondary command, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So in other words, Jude gives the command to the church to keep yourselves in the love of God, but Jude does not leave the church in the dark on how to keep themselves in the love of God. Okay, Jude, how can the church keep themselves in the love of God? Jude's answer comes in a pattern of three. By building yourself up in the, holy, in the most holy faith, that's the first one. Second one, praying in the Holy Spirit. Third, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If you are faithful in those three, you will keep yourself in the love of God. So today we're going to look at this primary command, keep yourselves in the love of God, in verses 20 and 21. And the goal is to understand what it means to keep yourselves in the love of God, and why every believer in the church must keep yourselves in the love of God. Then on next time, we will look at the secondary commands in Jude 20 and 21, and we will see how to keep yourselves in the love of God. So Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Jude here once again turns his focus away from the imposters and directs his attention back to the church. In verse 19, he, he ends, he says, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, not having the spirit. And then verse 20, but you, beloved. Who is Jude speaking to now? But you. Jude is speaking to every believer in the church. I emphasize this because Jude is not speaking to a special set of believers or only mature believers. Jude is speaking to every believer in the church. The leaders, the old, the young, the educated, the uneducated, the wealthy, the poor, the men, and the women. Jude is speaking to everyone in the church. Those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. That's who he's speaking to, but you. So Jude 20, but you, beloved. Jude again, showing his affection for this church, for the third time in his short letter, calls them the beloved. Beloved means loved by God, and we can add loved by Jude, as the writer of the letter, possibly the pastor of this church. So let's look at this main command here in Jude 20 through 21. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. The word keep expresses the idea of watchful care and means to protect, preserve, retain, and not depart from or fall away from. This word is used three times in Jude's letter. In other words, Jude is saying, beloved, take watchful care of yourselves as you remain in the love of God and protect yourselves from falling away from the love of God. Or, beloved, preserve yourself in the love of God and do not depart from the love of God. So Jude is saying to the beloved, 
that this is not an, there, it is not enough to oppose and resist the imposters, but you must keep yourselves in the love of God. Now for some, Jude has just caused a problem for them because his letter says in verse 1 that the beloved are kept for Jesus Christ. And verse 24 says, now to him who is able to keep you. These verses point to the keeping of the beloved based on his divine sovereignty, based on God's divine sovereignty. So what's the problem? Jude has just introduced a tension in the Bible which is called a theological antinomy, meaning a logical contradiction between principles that are both affirmed in Scripture. This is the tension in the Bible between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. What does it look like when we get this wrong? Well, on one hand, we might rely on the sovereignty of God in such a way that we don't take our human responsibility seriously and deny the fact that we must strive to be obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ by denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Christ. This may lead us to making excuses for why we, were, we, why we are not being obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ and puts the blame on God's sovereignty for our lack of obedience. We may say, well, I can't repent because that's a gift from God and he has to give it to me. So therefore, I can't repent. Maybe tomorrow. Well, on the other hand, we might rely on ourselves in such a way that we don't rely on God's sovereign grace to sanctify us and to cause us to walk in his statutes and keep his commands, which can keep us from growing to full maturity in Jesus Christ. This may lead us to think more highly of ourselves based on our good works and rob glory from God as we forget that he is the one who is purifying us by his grace. We need to find a happy medium. One man writes, those who trust in Christ remain in the faith because of the preserving work of God the Father. Nevertheless, the promise that God will keep his own does not nullify the responsibility of the believers to preserve in the faith. God keeps his own, and yet believers must keep themselves in the love of God. We have to find that, that happy medium, that healthy spiritual place where we are relying on his sovereignty and we are still being responsible for ourselves. How should we respond to both of these biblical truths? With humility. We should accept both of these truths and pursue by God's grace to be doers of his word and not only hearers of his word, realizing that our minds may not be capable of fully understanding God's ways. Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares Yahweh. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We should come to the word humbly. We should read it, believe it, and do it. So let's move on. But you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is an instance where the Greek can have two different meanings. The phrase, love of God, 
can mean either man's love for God or God's love for man. Based on the context in Jude's letter, it means God's love for man. Jude writes in verse 1 that his recipients are beloved and God the Father. Then Jude writes three times that the recipients in his letter are the beloved, meaning loved by God. What does it mean to keep yourselves in the love of God? The simple meaning is to keep yourself in the sphere or circle of God's love in such a way that God increases your experience of his love to the point that his love is overflowing in and upon you, which in turn causes you to continually love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the easiest definition of keeping yourselves in the love of God. Doesn't God love love all Christians the same all the time, unconditionally, without distinctions? He asked that question. Yes and no. God as the judge loves all Christians unconditionally in Christ. But God as the Father will increase and and decrease his love for those very same Christians. There are many distinctions in God's love. It's not the teaching of our day, so it may shock some of you, but there are distinctions or differences in God's love for you individually. An example of a distinction of God's love is seen in the difference between God's intra-Trinitarian love of the triune God and his love for his people. God's intra-Trinitarian love between God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit is the immutable, unchangeable, and eternal love between the triune God that is natural and necessary because God cannot not love himself. There's no way he can't love himself. But God's love for his people is voluntary and not necessary. God doesn't need his people, but God loves his people simply because he chooses to love them. And that love can be increased or decreased. The Puritans taught about the distinctions of God's love for believers. They wrote about what they called God's love of benevolence, which was understood in terms of God's election and predestination. They also wrote about God's love of complacency, which was understood as God's love of delight or friendship, whereby God delights in his people according to their holiness or Christ-likeness. We talk about this often, pointing to our justification or God's courtroom scene where God the judge loves us unconditionally in Jesus Christ because he paid our debt that we could never pay ourselves. 1 John 3.16, by this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us. That's unconditional love. And our adoption, or God's family room scene, where we are loved by God the Father as his children, wherein, by our actions, God the Father can be pleased or displeased with us. 
See how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God, and we are. But that same God the Father can discipline you and will discipline you unless you're an illegitimate child. One man writes about these distinctions. The two ideas are distinct, and adoption is more exalted. Justification is a forensic idea conceived in terms of law and viewing God as judge. In justification, God declares of penitent believers that they are not and never will be liable to death that their sins deserve because Jesus Christ, their substitute and sacrifice, tasted death in their place on the cross. This free gift is of acquittal and peace, won for us at the cost of Calvary, is wonderful enough in all conscience. But justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any dose of fellowship with God resulting. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as Father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are all at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. So what does Jude mean when he writes, keep yourselves in the love of God? Jude is writing about the family room scene where we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by pleasing him and growing in our Christ-likeness which was understood by the Puritans as God's love of complacency, meaning God's love of delight or friendship, whereby God delights in his people according to this, their holiness or Christ-likeness. That's what Jude's talking about. How do I know this is what Jude means? Well, Jude is saying the same thing that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said about abiding in the love of God. Listen to the words of Jesus, John 15, 1 through 10. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The word abide here means to dwell in. It's your dwelling place. Your dwelling place. The love of Christ, the love of God, should be every Christian's dwelling place. Well, how do we abide or dwell in God's love? By keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ, we are abiding in his love. John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. One man writes, The more likeness we have to God, the more love we shall have from him. If God loves holiness in a lower measure, much more he love it in a higher degree, because then his image is more illustrious and beautiful, and it comes nearer to the lively lineaments of his own infinite purity. He loves a holy man for some resemblance to him in his nature. But when there is an abounding and sanctified disposition suitable to it, there is an increase in favor. The more we resemble the original, the more we shall enjoy the blessedness of that original. As any partake more in the divine likeness, they partake more in the divine happiness. You get this experience of being in God's love, and it increases. When his love increases, your experience of it increases. This is nothing new, but something that's been forgotten. Let's look to Christ and see how the Father's love of complacency increased for his only begotten Son as Jesus was obedient in order to please his Father. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming upon him. And behold, there was a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God the Father was pleased with the obedience of Jesus Christ in his human form. John 10, 17 through 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but from myself I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And he started, For this reason the Father loves me. The Father had loved him eternally. But the Father's love of complacency it increased as he saw the work of his Son. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Jesus Christ, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard, 
equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him. So, Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Why is it very important that we keep ourselves in the love of God? Because when we are pleasing to God our Father and growing in Christ-like, our Father's love of complacency increases upon us, and we have a greater experience of his love for us, which causes us to have complete joy in God. But when we are displeasing to our Father and backsliding or not growing in Christ-likeness, then our Father's love of complacency for us decreases. John 15, 10 through 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. How can my joy be complete? By keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ. And like I said, this is nothing new, but something that has been forgotten. Listen to how the confession has God's love of complacency or the family room scene in the perseverance of the saints section. 1689, chapter 17. Paragraph 1. Those God has accepted in the beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, and given the precious faith of his elect, can neither totally nor finally fall from a state of grace. They will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved, because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Therefore, he still brings about and nourishes in them faith repentance, love, joy, hope, and all the graces of the Spirit that lead to immorality, or immortality. Even though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet these things will never be able to move the elect from the foundation and rock to which they are anchored by faith. The felt sight of light and love of God may be clouded, and obscured from them for a time through their unbelief and the temptations of Satan. Yet God is still the same. They will certainly be kept by the power of God for salvation, where they will enjoy their purchased possession, for they are engraved on the palms of his hands, and their names have been written in the book of life from all eternity. 
Did you notice how the adopted child of God can have their experience of God's light and love clouded and obscured? Paragraph 3. They may fall into grievous sins and continue in them for a time due to the temptation of Satan and the world, the strength of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation. In so doing, they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. Their graces and comforts become impaired. Their hearts are hardened and their consciences wounded. They hurt and scandalize others and bring temporary judgments on themselves. Nevertheless, they will renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. God can be displeased with you and it won't feel good. Did you notice the experience of the adopted child of God when God is displeased? Their graces and comforts become impaired. Their hearts are hardened and their consciences wounded. They hurt and scandalize others. They bring temporary judgments on themselves. It would be better to just keep pleasing God to keep yourselves in the love of God. How is keeping yourselves in the love of God contending for the faith? I'll make two statements on this today and then we'll look at this more as we go through the next sermon. But first, when Christians keep themselves in the love of God and are continually pleasing to God, They have all their joy complete in God as the love of God is perfected in them. Their lives are in complete contrast to the lives of the imposters. Although the imposters can look very religious and live on religious enthusiasm, they can never never, or neither keep themselves in the love of God, and the imposters can never be pleasing to God without Christ. The imposters never truly find their joy in God. They may say it, they may look like it on the outside, but they never find joy in God. 1 John 2, 4 and 5, The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. Obedience causes that love to be perfected. In God. Second, remember you have the audience which consists of all the people in the church which Jude describes in a short letter. There are the believers, the imposters, the doubters, the influenced, and the influencers. The believers are the only people in the church that have the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ working in them in such a way that they are being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, causing them to let the light of Christ shine in them before everyone in the church. The imposters cannot do that. They have no light to shine. By being the light, you are contending for the faith. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Many more verses to go with that, but we'll skip on that for now. So what must I do 
If I have fallen away from the love of God, it's a scary thing to think about, but it's a question we should ask. What if I have found myself in a place where I have fallen away from my first love? One man writes, if you do lose your first love, take this advice from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. But if not, I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Revelation 2.5 This verse requires you to do three things. First, to consider. Second, to be humble. And third, to reform your ways. He goes on. First, consider. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Think about your situation. In your examination, compare yourself with God's law. Recall what a difference there is between how you are now and how you used to be. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Job 29, 2-3. Here are some thoughts we should have about ourselves. I used to spend time every day with God. I remember when I delighted and thinking about God. Now I have no heart to pray or meditate. Second, humiliation. This is intimated by the word repent, Revelation 2.5. It is not enough to know that you have fallen. Many people know they have fallen from grace, but do not judge themselves for this in God's presence. Bewail this before God. Pray for pardon. That is the idea behind the word repent. Third, reformation. Do the things you did at first. Revelation 2.5 We must not spend our days in idle complaints. Many people know they should repent, but do not. Some may, in some sense, repent, but they do not change. You must not rest until you recover your previous spiritual state. Christ called Peter to witness to him three times because of his triple denial. So if you've fallen, consider those things. Consider where you've fallen from. Be humble. Plead with God. Strive for reformation. Go back to your first love. So the next time we will look at what Jude says on how to keep yourselves in the love of God. We'll look at those secondary commands and learn how to keep ourselves in the love of God. I'll end here by asking the question, what do we have to look forward while we are keeping ourselves in the love of God? What can we look forward to while we are striving for obedience on this earth? Well, we get a picture of that in Revelation 21, 1 through 7. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these, thing, these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God and he will be my son. Amen.